house. No, the right no, house. I didn't get We want to talk to Marilyn Hack. I'm from Canada Water. Family's been involved in Harry's life for many years. I need help. I don't see what I can do. Our husbands aren't coming back. We're on our own. My husband left me the plans for his next job. All I need is a crew to pull it off. Why should we trust you anyway? Because I'm the only one standing between you and a bullet in your head. Hello and welcome to the This Had Oscar Buzz podcast, the only podcast hustling Meryl Streep into the back of a getaway carriage. Every week on This Had Oscar Buzz, we'll be talking about a different movie that once upon a time had lofty Academy Award aspirations, but for some reason or another, it all went wrong. The Oscar hopes died and we are here to perform the autopsy. I'm your host, Joe Reed. I'm here as always with my loyal driver with a gaudy Super Bowl ring, Chris File. Hello, Chris. Once I shuffle off this mortal coil, once um, uh, I have disappeared, you will find that ring in your mailbox, uh, in an envelope or something like that. You will know that Daniel Kaluuya has killed me. Poor, uh, what's his name? Garrett Dillahunt's character. Buddy, Buster, Billy, Bash. The one time Garrett Dillahunt has played a character who has probably bathed within the past (laughs) yeah he's always he had a very long streak of do you remember just playing dirty men do you remember when he was on deadwood as two separate characters in two separate seasons where he never watched deadwood but that absolutely tracks he's a perfect fit for that uh universe so yeah absolutely bash babyak is his full character's name according to wikipedia as i'm looking at which he's baby wonderful he is baby he is uh canonically baby this, I, I'm not a Chicago person. I visited Chicago a couple times, but I not, did not grow up there or I don't know it. But like, this feels like a very, uh, lived in Chicago movie, right? Like, this feels like, feels Chicago y. I would like to talk to Chicago people about that. But as of now, <laughs> my uninformed opinion says that this film directed by a British man is very Chicago y. So we'll see. You know what he was doing? I get so I get so trepidatious every time I say British now because I got chastised during our uh, Ben Wishaw uh, Donald Gleason conversation How about throwing you. the term British around when I meant How dare whatever. You. Ugh, the United Kingdom is complicated and confusing. God you guys, it's not you, my fault. Uh, not be able to sing- distinguish um, different types of white people. <laughs> it's a very important skill. Okay, um, yeah. We're talking about Widows, Chris. We're finally doing it. The epic it's happening. Widows. Uh, I feel widows. like we were experiencing some technical difficulties earlier. Yeah, spoiler alert. This is the second time we've attempted to start this podcast. But, <laughs> but we started on the foot of things we didn't like about the movie. Namely, the yeah, why'd you do that? Robert Duvall joke. That I've maybe said every other episode of this podcast. I feel um, bad every Robert time we Duvall make that joke. Bad. Okay, 
A, I don't think Robert Duvall is bad in this movie. B, every time we make the joke about Robert Duvall just showed up and played himself in the movie, I feel like we're disparaging Robert Duvall as a racist, and that is not what my intention was when I first made that joke. It was just that, like, he's just like, this character sort of shuffles into the movie and grumbles at Colin Farrell a few times and sort of, you know, says something to Viola Davis at one point. Literally screams the word, I'm old at some point, right? Yeah, yes. Yes. Um, It's a very odd character, but as I was sort of conveying to you in our previous attempts to start this podcast, I do think there's something intentional about the fact that he's this doddering, barely coherent, the only thing he's holding onto is his rage, white master of the universe, right? Who has his slip on his control of the city, whatever control that he had as, you know, this lifelong alderman of, of this little section of Chicago is slipping away and he's furious about it. He hates his son. Seemingly he hates black people. He hates the people who live in this section of the city that he's been in charge of. And he's just sort of raging against everything. And I think that, all to me feels a intentional and b well conveyed by Robert mm-hmm. Duvall. So I get where like I still think he's bad. okay. Fine, we'll agree to disagree <laughs> on that. I don't think there's that. I don't think anybody's bad in this movie. I really don't. I feel I don't know whether Jackie I'm Weaver just... is bad in this movie in her two scenes. Okay, but what is again? What is Jackie Weaver supposed to be doing? She's supposed to be playing this like Jackie Weaver showed up and said, "I'm in The Sopranos," right? Like this, right. that's what this movie is, right? And, and but, no, Jackie, it's not. Um, anyway, the point of bringing up the things we don't like about the movie that we yeah. don't think are good off the top is that this is probably about to be a two-hour gush session about this movie, right? As it should be. It's As a fantastic movie. Yeah. That's why they voted this. I feel like that's they didn't vote us to talk about this movie to pick it apart and bash it because no, th- we it's are a fantastic we are well uh, on the record as being big fans of this movie. We love and this for movie. the for the record, that is why I particularly uh, dragged my feet on doing a widows episode. I know when this ended up winning the the listeners' choice, there were a couple people who tweeted back at me my uh earlier indications that we would never do widows on this podcast and that it we... was all listeners wanted us to do because we loved it and like the original idea my thing is and again this all stems from the fact that we didn't put it on our 2018 in memoriam video right. our little bitchy little thing because like a at the time the wounds were too fresh the wounds and were too fresh. I didn't feel like I felt like that that little video that we made was a little, you know, jabbing the knife in at some of these, you know, the front runner and um, the mule. Right. Beautiful boy. Like all these sort of movies that were, you know, not as good as Widows. And um, it's worth making having a little fun with, too. And it's like it would have felt shitty to have made fun of Widows. Right. At the moment, I didn't feel like kicking Widows while it was down at the moment where it was the best movie of that year that didn't get any Oscar nominations. And Mm -hmm. so I think I, stubborn, speaking of mules uh, that I am, um, dug my feet in and we're just like, no, we're not doing it. It's too good of a movie. Our thing is about schadenfreude and we're not going to 
have a laugh at Widow's expense. And like, of course, when I took a second to think about it, we've talked about plenty of movies on this podcast that we like. And we've talked about plenty of movies that we feel like would have been worthy enough to be a Best Picture nominee, but just weren't. And, and we're I still needed- not a podcast that's like, we're talking about movies that should have been. We are not that podcast. We will never be that podcast. We're not, but there is a convers there is enough of a conversation around why Widows didn't get an Oscar nomination, didn't get any Oscar nominations that is worth having. And I and I realized that And it's and multi-pronged I, too. There's a lot going on. There's a lot going on. There was a lot going on. It's still very frustrating to think about. Um I was sort of p- pouring through the cuz when I initially made the um outline and we we're talking about, you know, listing the reasons why it didn't end up getting any Oscar nominations. And I, one of the things I sort of initially wrote down was it was completely and inexplicably left out of the precursor season. And like, that is not entirely true, although it's emotionally true because like it didn't end up winning anything major or get anything, but like it did show up. She got Viola Davis, got a BAFTA nomination. Elizabeth Debicki was runner up for a couple of the big supporting actress prizes and I think the film itself ended up a runner-up on on one of the big uh, critics associations lists. But I honestly remembered it doing even better in the precursor season. Oh, than that's interesting. I did. And when I went back and looked at it, I was like, I'd forgotten that it was no Golden Globe nominations. I'd forgotten right. that it really wasn't any significant uh, category, even for Critics' Choice, which like right. I think we can stop saying that Critics' Choice is a major uh, precursor at well, this point. Except for like it's it's the tail it's the tail wagging the dog, right? Where it's just like it's yes. the Absolutely. Critics' Choice reflects the season. It doesn't influence the season. But like no, I think we doesn't. can look back on it as like these things were in the mix at the time. I think it's also the thing about Critics' Choice now is that they are a large a very large voting body and like that is significant because like the globes are not and it tells it can tell you how consensus is building in a certain way that because it's a large voting group like the oscars are a large voting group that like something that's more idiosyncratic like the globes would right right no i think that's true precursor to what critics choice can reveal in that way but i think in my memory of it this whole it was like by the time it got to Oscar nomination morning, there was not even a glimmer of hope in my mind that Widows was going to end up nominated for anything because it was so already passed by and passed over. And it's a bummer. It's a like it this is a movie, bummer, but it's not entirely for things that we'll get into, it's not entirely the voters' fault. There's a whole lot of like business side things. As to why this movie got screwed over, I'll I'll blame the voters. Namely, the Fox and Disney buy over that we'll get into. We'll get into. Sure. Yeah. You you have a better handle on that than I do. I will just see at uh, anybody who has an Oscar ballot that year. That especially when we talk about this movie. Especially when we talk about the 2018 Oscars, which we will, and some of the movies that did get nominated and win Oscars that year, it is especially maddening just like absolutely (sighs) at the very least it was a strong best actress field or else i would be even more angry and upset about this because Mm -hmm. viola davis is so good in this movie yeah it's maybe my i don't know 
Favorite performance is a lot. She's given some fantastic performances. It is the movie of hers that I most eagerly will sign up to rewatch. Like, I will watch this movie so many times in my lifetime already. And This is the first movie I've watched twice in quarantine. Oh, that's fun. That's really cool. Uh, it's wonderful. It's, it's, it's a good fucking time. It's two hours and nine minutes. Am I misremembering or is that? No, it's it's just over two hours. Yeah. Yeah. It flies by as far as I'm concerned. And also it has, it's one of those movies that like has so many scenes, just like great individual scenes that i could like go back and watch in total isolation right where it's like two thousand words right now on just the moment of viola davis in the sauna steaming out that one woman who comes in and interrupts them one of my favorite moments in the entire movie it's so good the sauna scene's fantastic the scene where brian tyree henry comes by and threatens the dog is astounding. The scene where Daniel Kaluuya ends up shooting the guy who fucked up their deal of some sort or another, makes the guy rap for him and then shoots him in the head, is insane. The scene, um, the the dialogue free scene uh, with Viola Davis and Cynthia Erivo in the car at the end of the movie. The scene where Cynthia Erivo and Viola Davis first meet, where Cynthia Erivo says, "You need to watch how you talk to me." Yeah, is, they instantly decide they do not like each other. The scene where Elizabeth Debicki buys the van. At the auction, I think is amazing. Elizabeth Vicky um, going into a Polish dialect so that she can get someone else to buy guns for her. Yeah. Okay. So that's maybe my Robert Duvall in this movie is this movie loves guns. Like this movie fully buys into the idea that like guns will be the great equalizer for women. And that's no, my least favorite. No, thing about because this movie. the scene where she gets those guns at a gun show, the the button to the scene is the little girl saying to her mom and convincing her you always say that a gun is a girl's best friend mommy and like that is that's a laugh line though that's not a yeah uh-oh. but the movie sides with like here's why guns are a problem because uh. you people just think that they're uh, it's these white people showing up at gun shows like thinking that they're like whatever i don't uh, know part of their identity I don't know. I think this movie is very gun forward. It's not, it doesn't ruin things for me, but like, it's definitely my least favorite thing about the movie. I mean, they um, need the guns to pull off what they're doing, but I don't think that this is a pro gun movie. I, I would disagree. But anyway, okay, okay. Um, I still catch my breath at that shot at the diner at the end that Sean Bobbitt uh, frames where it's Viola and Debicki in two mirrors on Amazing. like at right angles. It's, I couldn't believe it. The shot in the car that everybody talks about that like takes Colin Farrell and his assistant played by Molly Coons, um, who I totally picked out, by the way, the first time I watched this movie, I'm like, is that the girl from The Wise Kids, from Stephen Cohn's The Wise Kids? And I was totally right, and I was totally vindicated, and I was very proud of myself. Um, but that scene where it takes them from um, speaking into, I can't remember, I can't remember the number of the ward. It's like the 18th ward or something like that. Um, from that little uh, press event to his home and you watch the neighborhood in this like not very long distance go from like this kind of uh, rundown, very like uh, neglected by the city uh, area into his fucking mansion in 
you know, whatever like corner of the minutes. neighborhood that he lives in. And it's just like, it's no time at all. And you don't see them. You only hear them. And like the dialogue that they're going through where like he, he's like, have you ever slept with a black man? And she's just like, why is that it's important most, right now? Uh, it, like it, what you're listening to versus what you're seeing. Yep. And like the context of the two is so infuriating. I like, will be very interested to about. dive into our feelings about Colin Farrell in this movie, who I think is very good, but like it's a real particular Colin Farrell performance. I will say the accent is wild and crazy for sure. I'm excited to talk about this, Chris. I'm glad I we're doing too. this. So before, well. before we get too far into it, though, we need to talk about why we're talking about this, which is that this won our listener's choice. It's our listener's uh, choice. We're at episode 125. Um, so this listener's choice, we did things a little bit different. We typically pick a handful of things that we think either our listeners have asked for or appeal to different like parts of what we do do and like then you guys get to pick from four titles on the listeners poll we open this one up to all suggestions from listeners with some criteria we said no to on a 19 movies we said uh what was our other criteria like that it's well, got to have oscar buzz yeah that it in had some type oscar of way we yeah. did get submissions that absolutely did not but <laughs> that was fine we love you anyway if yeah. that if that's what you submitted and it really wasn't in the conversation. Like, there wasn't, you know, a ton of people throwing out those type of titles. Right. So it's like they didn't really sway voting in any way. Right. Um, and We had like 202 movies, though, on our spreadsheet. Over 200 That got at movies. least one vote. Thank you guys for throwing out those... Uh, your votes. That It was a lot of fun tallying these and see how things went. However... We always kind of knew Widows was going to win. <laughs> you especially. You said from the very beginning, you're like, Widows is going to win this and it's not going to be close. And I was like, I don't know. There are other things. No, you were totally right. Widows from won this thing votes, and it wasn't Widows had close. three times as many votes as the second place movie. <laughs> yeah. Yes. But I will say the scrum to get to those other three slots in the poll was fun to follow because it, it was, was not fun. always. It ended up being Margaret. The shipping news. I always sound like a freaking tool when I say Margaret, even though I no, know that's that how that's how they say it. it in the movie. Whatever. Margaret, the shipping news, and young adult ended up being the other three finalists. But like Young Adult at, was the one that made the like last surge. Late surge. In. But like at different points, White Oleander was up there, Birth was up there, um, Life Itself came very close, Collateral Beauty came very close, Never Let Me Go came very close. Uh, the surprise for me, I will say was the support that there was out there for Star 80, which is the um, uh, Eric Roberts... Is it Margot Hemingway is in that movie? Or is it Mariel Hemingway? Mariel Hemingway. About Some Dorothy Stratton. Some of the votes Stratton. for that movie were mean, though. Some people were saying that we were uh, too young to know what these movies are, and that's not true. I was fully um, flattered by that. Mean, I don't know. I don't know don't why you took that as like mean. Old movies, which is not true. If anybody um, wants to tell me that I'm too young to remember a movie from 1983, yeah, yeah, you thank you. Hearing that, you you were I, very happy to hear that. My stars, yeah. Um, but now I really want to do that movie. We ha- it would be the most it would be the oldest movie we'd done. It's from 1983, but it's a Bob Fosse movie. It got. Uh, Golden Globe nominations. It's supposedly a really good movie. I've never seen it, but I mean, I now I really want to do Fosse. it. I just feel like any of, except for maybe talking about Fosse, I felt like Star Eighty. It would be 
a little bit like the conversations we would have about this were already just covered on the amazing Polly Platt, um, you must remember this miniseries. We can find other angles. We're good at what we do. Sure, sure, I guess. We could talk about the Golden Globes in the 1980s. Like, that's really fun. I don't know. There's a lot of, there's, there's, Ground it's to hard to talk about that. some of those old movies. We've talked about this in some of our oldest episodes, like Nuts, where it's like, you know, it's about the evolution of Oscar and what campaigning became. Like, it, yeah. you know, it's a very different beast once you hit the late 80s and like the machine actually starts for what it is. And yeah. what, like Oscar buzz actually becomes a thing. But one of the things that I was most heartened by was because our podcast has... It's there's a niche to our podcast, right? It's a type, yes. a specific type of movie. And sometimes I talk to people who, you know, listen to us and they really like us and whatever. And they're just like, how long do you think you can go with this? And I'm always just like, there's plenty. And every year yeah. there's more. And looking at this, it would take spreadsheet, us four years to satisfy everybody's listeners just on this list. This and, th- and this list is absolutely not everything. So, like, don't worry We've got the material. We can stick yeah. around and we can do this. There's so many things that we could do. There's uh, some of the ones that got uh, multiple votes are really interesting to me that I don't know if I would have even necessarily considered a movie like The Good Dinosaur, which is really interesting because you talk about like animated movie buzz mm-hmm. and that's really cool. Some of the stuff on here where it's like, I can't believe we already haven't done Amelia or factory girl or live by night for christ's sake um there's just a lot of ways actively avoiding doing live by night we have to though at some point it's got to be done it's got to be done um two votes for furious seven is very funny to me you guys probably not it's probably not gonna happen but god bless you you all so much but (laughs) the i joe knows that i i don't want to watch a furious well and also like the Oscar Oscar buzz case for Furious Seven is probably a stretch. I will say. Um, I mean, they campaign. That was one of all. the things where I'm like, yeah, they mounted a campaign, but it wasn't real. Right. Like, right. I know people love those movies. It's not any. Of I love those movies. Who love those movies. Yeah. But like it. It wasn't real. Like when I got that screener in the mail, I was like. Yeah, but this isn't going to happen. They're they're doing like the nice thing for their talent that like right. Also, Vin like coming out and saying this movie should be a best picture winner or whatever he said. Right. It's like, but right. it's not going to be right. Um, the Oscar campaign for Furious Seven, and I'm not equating um, Vin Diesel. Vin Diesel is a cool guy, like Vin Diesel, whatever. But like, he's not on the level of somebody like. Donald Trump, but like the appeasement to Vin Diesel of putting on an Oscar campaign for Furious 7 is not unlike um, people pretending that Trump could still win this election for Donald Trump's uh, satisfaction, right? Like it's a little bit like, like let's put on I a mean, little pageant for uh, this guy who's in charge. People and... look at me like I'm crazy when I've said this, or like people just don't get it but like i haven't seen any of those movies because like i showed up to the movie theater on that movie's opening weekend to see something else which one one, i forget which one it was they all are a blur and the lobby was truly like showing up at a trump rally okay that happened to me on the next one as well and i don't i don't even go to the movies when those movies open because like People, I mean, I don't live in middle America, but, like, it you was... You do live in Ohio. Like, yeah, I live in Ohio, but, like, I live in a city in Ohio. Sure. And, like, 
I don't I think it's that, fair like, to paint I, the fan base of that movie that way. I don't think that's accurate, is what I will say. No, that's that was my experience of going to the movie theater when those movies open, and it's just like, maybe I'll watch them at home sometime. <laughs> Fine, watch them at home. Um, I like them. I think they're really good. Anyway, thanks to everybody who um, made a made a guys. suggestion, made a vote for Listener's Choice, and we're happy that we're doing Widows, but like we will be pulling from this list this will be a very good resource for us as we pick our movies going forward this absolutely uh mm-hmm. joe the only movie that at any point in the voting passed enough votes <laughs> then uh to have been ahead of widows this is only for a few days or two was the shipping news our dear Dear, the shipping news, which at this point... Our beloved made the shipping news. In this season where I've watched A Charlie Brown Christmas uh, twice and probably will watch it three or four times in total before the holiday is done, I was reminded of poor dear Charlie Brown, who kept running up to that football and Lucy would just yank it away. And that, to me, feels very much like the case with the shipping news. And I know that there are shipping news partisans. When we had the poll... That widow's this had Oscar buzz movie. Widows jumped to the lead of that poll and was not relinquishing it. And I would see some of the comments that was like, and all four of the movies, by the way, had comments that were like, "Come on, team! Come on, team Margaret! Let's let's pull this together! Come on, team young adult!" But it was team shipping news that I found to be so poignant, where they were just like, "One of these times, it's got to happen, right? One of these times, it's got to win a, a listener's choice poll for this had Oscar buzz because a." It should. That's the thing. It should. It should be a movie we talk about. It should win one of these polls. It is the ultimate. If you told me that we'd get through 125 episodes without ever talking about the movie, I would have told you you'd lost your mind. And so a little bit of a schism then developed during the voting for this between Chris and I, but also between, I think, some of our our, uh, listenership, which is, do we do the shipping news sooner than later in order to give the people who want this episode a freaking break or do we turn the shipping news into the eternal charlie brown the eternal bridesmaid the buffalo bills of this podcast if i we bring up something lucci personal and uh and painful the susan lucci sure yes but the thing about susan lucci is she did eventually win now do we put the shipping news through 19 years of torture to <laughs> To get to that point, and then Shamar Moore finally, um, you know, a lot, lets everybody know that we will be doing the shipping news. Or do we just, like, do we give everybody a break and just do the shipping news? I am in favor of let's do the shipping news sometime soon. Chris was more in favor of okay. let's turn I this into in a thing. I am in favor of dragging this out for any other listener's choice polls that we can, because how cool is it going to be if people rally around the shipping news and the shipping news wins? All right. I think that's a success story we can all get behind. The shipping news, it's been up for three different listener's choice polls. We've done four in total. The only one it wasn't on was when we did our 2003 miniseries. Didn't we do a listener's uh, shipping... choice for summer movies, or was that not a was that not a poll? Ooh, no, we haven't done. Now. This is our last one we've done since uh, our Cloud Atlas episode. Okay, all right. Which Cloud Atlas is the best performing we've ever had on a poll. That's for listener's amazing. choice. 
Well, it, it even beat it. Widows by a single percentage point. It was But Shipping it. News got dead last in the last two polls. In oh, the first God. poll we did, it barely passed Reservation Road. And I think that's because even a lot of people who follow the type of movies we talk about have fully forgotten about Reservation Road. Yes, true. Yes. So it's like uh, the shipping news has a very vocal this had Oscar buzz fandom or uh, d- a desire for an episode, but it's always last in the polls. For all of our listeners who maybe didn't vote for the shipping news and uh, when they saw it in the poll, and you know your votes are valid, but let me just remind everybody: this is a film set in I want to say Newfoundland. It is Newfoundland. Uh, where Julianne Moore plays a woman named Wavy Prouse, and Kate Blanchett plays a character who, if I'm not mistaken, her character's name is, and I'm going to look it up on IMDb, Petal. because Petal, right? Her name is Petal, and Judy Dench plays a woman named Agnes Ham. Cue, um, uh, Angie Jordan saying Ham. Um, Pete Postlethwaite, the late great Pete Postlethwaite plays a, char- a character named Turt Card. Um, Kevin Spacey, the regrettable Kevin Spacey, plays somebody named Coyle. Gordon Pinsent from uh, Away From Her plays a character named Billy Pretty. Uh, um, Reese Fons plays a character named Bofield Nutbeam. You want us to talk about this movie, you guys? You want I, us to talk about this? Just, movie. just character names alone. I, I get it. Are not Judy Dench? All, but... Like takes her abusive brother's ashes out to the outhouse and then dumps them in the outhouse and then uses it. (laughs) It's a wild movie. This, yes, all of this is true. All of this, and it's all under the guise of pleasant as you please, Lassa Hallstrom. Like, it's, it was the Lassa Hallstrom movie after his two consecutive Best Picture nominees. And they were like, well, we can't lose because we got the shipping news. It's based on an acclaimed uh, Annie Perul novel. A Pulitzer and Prize winner. Jesus, I forgot about that, that it was a Pulitzer Prize winner. Again, Not you guys want us to talk about this. The novel this. is somehow less absurd than the movie is. Yeah. All right. Film is a very literal art form sometimes. Um, <laughs> it would have anyway. been interesting to have done the shipping news this week because we're coming up on Christmas. And people always, in the past, well, I guess there was only two so far. But people were surprised when the second Kevin Spacey video showed up on Christmas morning. And it's going to happen again. I, <laughs> like a, I would put Like a lump of coal down. in our uh, stocking. Yeah. Christmas yes. Day, we will have another bizarre kevin spacey video where he's trying to stake some type of comeback because he thinks he was wronged for being abusive he'll be refusing to wear a mask and he it'll be some sort of trump illusion and it'll be a whole thing i'm ready to leave uh frank underwood in our cultural past and i believe everybody else is too anyway we have really digressed chris we've gone into site business uh, but uh that is all the business about our listeners choice guys thank you so much we are so happy to finally be talking about widows so let's talk about widows then all right chris we are a half an hour in so of course this is one this is when we do our um uh, 60 second plot description and it's up to you my dear friend to do it are you ready Oh, I think so. There's a lot of plot. I, uh, I, but, uh, 
we will see. We will see if I can do this. All right. We're talking this week about Widows, finally. Directed by Steve McQueen, written by Gillian Flynn and Steve McQueen, based on a 1983 British miniseries starring Viola Davis, Elizabeth Debicki, Michelle Rodriguez, Cynthia Erivo, Colin Farrell, Liam Neeson, Brian Tyree Henry, Daniel Kaluuya, Robert Duvall, Carrie Coon, Garrett Dillahunt, Jackie Weaver, Lucas Haas... The list goes on and on and on. It's very well cast. It's a very well cast movie. All right, Chris, I have one minute poised on the clock if you are ready. Oh, wait, I need to tell everybody that it world premiered at the Toronto International Film Festival on September 8th, 2018. We were there. We We were there. We saw it with a friend and former guest, Nick Davis. That's right. It was such a good, that was a fun screening. That was a very fun screening. That was amazing. Eight o'clock in the morning. It was yep. raining outside. Yep. I went into the movie pissed about the like shishi uh, industry people complaining that they had to wait in the rain first That's thing right. in the morning. That's right. Like oh. there's like she's so damn special. All right. Yes, it did end up opening um, wide on November sixteenth, twenty eighteen, and we'll talk about what happened thereafter. But until then, Chris, why don't you? Give us a 60-second plot description of Widows if you are ready. Uh, taking a deep breath, I think I'm good to go. I'm good to All right, go. go. Okay, so Widows, it stars Viola Davis as Veronica Rawlings. She, uh, the movie opens with her husband, played by Neam Neeson, a uh, crime gone wrong, and they, uh, the van explodes and he's dead. Meanwhile, there's a political campaign running for the district um, between Jack Mulligan, who is like a legacy uh, family nepotism uh, candidate, against uh, Jamal Manning, who is more like of the neighborhood and of the people. Turns out they're both corrupt anyway. Uh, Jamal uh, threatens Veronica to uh, figure seconds. out uh, how to get this money back uh, because it was stolen from him and it was for his campaign. He, she has a month to do it or he's going to kill her and all of the wives of the men who were involved. She corrals them all together uh, and like starts training them to uh, how to do this heist. Uh, meanwhile, it turns out her husband is dead. Seconds. Spoiler alert. Um, uh, they basically pull off the heist uh and uh but it's at the at jack mulligan's like campaign headquarters they have to pull that it. is they time kill. oh fuck that is time my friend there's a lot so of plot. much like intricate dynamics of the politics of chicago yep these like really interesting characters that like you just can't do it in 60 seconds it's no and it's, it's also there's like the relationship dynamic too yes. and there's a lot about race there too because veronica's husband isn't only like living this life of crime that she may or may not know about i feel like every time i watch it i have a different opinion on if she knows or doesn't know i and... think she looked the other way and didn't want to know i think she i think it did not come to me it did not seemed to me that she was surprised to find out that her husband was a criminal. Like she has a career of her own too, right? She's involved for the with like city union. schools, so like you can also yeah. believe her as someone who is very invested in her career otherwise. Sure. And also they have their son who was shot by a police officer, so it's like it's also this incredible portrait of grief for her. Right, you get these Meanwhile, series of she flashbacks her husband like uh, faked his own death in this and screwed her over and meanwhile is having an affair with Carrie Coon and they have a baby. Carrie Coon, um, the wife of one of his 
uh, yes. crew members too is yes. the other thing. Is like he really he's revealed to be a shit on like multiple different levels, right? And but you get that one flashback where it's too. I think seemingly it's like the morning of their son's funeral or whatever. And she's just like, they're both really going through it and they can't connect. And he sort of snaps at her and says, don't make me, don't make my one regret that I had a child with you. And she says, well, maybe you should have, uh, maybe you shouldn't have, if you, uh, if you had a child with somebody else, he'd still be alive because uh, her son was killed at a traffic stop by a white cop in a, uh, you know, racist police shooting. And mm-hmm. it's, there's just, there's levels, there's macro levels, there's micro levels, there's character stuff, big and small. There's the stuff with her interacting with the different women. Like she's got a very sort of distinct relationship with Dubicki's character versus Michelle Rodriguez's character. And then certainly with Cynthia Rivo's character, who is not having it at all. Which it's is hard to like great. make a blanket statement about the plot and like fully include all of the dynamics. Like Michelle Rodriguez's character, like it does seem like they had a good marriage, um, and like she's losing her business because she can't. He was helping support her, and there, um, there's also a mention at some point that he had gambling debts, and mm-hmm. um, that was a big part of the reason why her store ends up getting taken away from her. So yeah, all of these women seem to have very they're drawn very specifically, and I find that um, really interesting. There's even that little side plot about Cynthia Arrivo works at the salon that uh, Adapero Aduye owns and she ends up getting loans from or like benefits from the city program that Colin Farrell is supporting that is essentially a um not a front but like a it's a good PR move for him right to sort of mm-hmm. make these small business loans to black women in the area and then he sort of puts them up on a stage and it's just like you know aren't I doing such a great and job for the community off of them but he ends up profiting off of them and she ends up having to give a kickback essentially to them and and Cynthia Arrivo uh you know sort of bristles at that and by the end of the movie she takes some of her cut to give to Adapero Duye and to have her um, you know, get on her feet independently. And mm-hmm. there's just, it's, it works on, again, I say sort of macro and micro levels in a way that I find very, very satisfying. And even like the Brian Tyree Henry character, I think it's a fascinating so character, good. actually. Like I could watch an entire TV series about that character because he's, he's a villain, but he's also like the kind, you could see him being an anti-hero of, a show, you know, Sopranos-esque kind of a thing, which, like, I'm sort of done with those TV shows as it is. Just, like, stop making me have to invest in, you know, the emotional life of a career criminal. And yet, he's fascinating, and he plays this so well. And, like, what this was a great year for him, also, because it was mm-hmm. this Absolutely. and If Beale Street Could Talk, which I believe he was a runner-up for National Society of Film Critics, a supporting actor for both of those films. And I think... There was a third. Now hold on. A uh, second. probably Spider Verse. Yes, it was Spider Verse. Yes, so he was sort of cited for those three films, but he's especially in I would say this and Beale Street. I would have nominated him for Beale Street alone. I thought he. Was, I believe I did. I think I did too. Uh, he's phenomenal in that, but like he's so 
threatening in that scene where he shows up on Viola Davis's doorstep and, and grabs the dog. And at first, it's just holding the dog. One of but the it's... most essential cast members of Widows, Olivia the dog. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, I, I mean, a crucial plot development comes from the dog. Like, it's... Mm-hmm. Um, but the way he's just, he's holding the dog and he's not even threatening it yet. But just him holding the dog is... You don't want that to be happening. And you want him, him to put that showing dog down. up at her doorstep and not, uh, you know, leaving. Right. You know what yeah. it means when he picks forcing, up the dog. forcing his way in. Like again, not like breaking the door down, but he like he insinuates himself and he insists that he, you know, be let in. And yet, then he's got scenes. He sort of is of him and Kaluuya, who his his sort of you know second in command and brother, right? Uh, I forget get if there's a relation there or not but like but anyway mentioned in our uh original attempt to record this morning daniel kaluuya is like the freddy krueger of this movie he's amazing he's so good he should have been nominated for this like i i I go back and forth on certain things about like but like he should have been nominated for this debicki should have been nominated for this and viola should have been nominated for this i want someone to tell me how many lines or words he has in this movie Besides just glowering, besides just like and using like you get his eyeballs to amazing concept effect, concept of who he is, and he has this complete sway over a movie where it's like it's all he posture. Is like the shark from Jaws, he is like Freddy Krueger. It create he the character that he is creating, the villain, like the yeah. presence that he has on screen, makes you terrified the second he shows up. It's all posture with him. It's all eyeballs and like and where his shoulders are and like is he hunched over? Like is he, you know, is he like sort of leaning back and and being like, you know, faux casual about things? And it's so threatening. Uh, I said earlier, but um, before the recording, when he dies at the end, and he's like the camera does not make it ambiguous. Like he is, his neck is crunched up, the steering wheel's halfway into his chest. And he's open-eyed and bleeding, and he's dead. And my mind immediately goes to Scream 2 of just, like, he's dead in the front seat. It's just like, don't, don't trust it. Do not trust that he's dead. He'll be back. They're going to cut back to that shot of the car, and he won't be there. And he'll be like, what's happening? What's going on? One of the great villain performances of the past decade. Yeah. But, yeah, and also, okay, so here's my other thing about the Brian Tyree Henry character, whose name is Jamal Manning. There's a point later in the movie where Colin Farrell, who plays Jack Mulligan, is sitting around with his sort of political business cronies or whatever, sipping whiskey and whatnot. And he says, I'm gonna I'm gonna uh I'm gonna beat his black gay ass in this election. And somebody else is like, Oh, is he gay? And they sort of like move on from the conversation. But now my mind is like, well, wait a second, is he gay? Because I also like that's also the vibe that he uh, has in in Beale Street. And so I'm just like, is this just like a odd coincidence? Or like, is this a thing that we're supposed to be thinking about this character? And is this a thing that plays into, I don't know, like the way I mean, his it character... definitely shows how like the Mulligans would speak about their opponents, their constituents, For black sure. people. Uh, right behind closed doors too like right. and i the movie really calibrates stuff 
with the two political opponents very well to never really allow you to side with either of them. Yep. Um, yep. Because like that Colin Farrell uh, observation, I think, comes after or like right around his fight with his father, Robert Duvall's character, where he basically says, I can't wait for your you generation of people to fucking die. Right. Um, and in that scene, Farrell is the better of the two. And then mm-hmm. in the scenes with Farrell and Jamal Manning, he's the worse of the two. And when he and Viola have their scene together, he's the less overtly threatening to Viola than than uh, Jamal Manning is. Jamal Manning, again, is threatening to kill her dog and kill her and and all this sort of stuff, bring physical harm all to her. All the other widows. And Jack Mulligan is sort of namby-pamby like he's not going to do anything to help her he makes these sort of like vague uh political financial threats to her but he's not like in her face but so the movie is playing with these ideas of just like what's the bigger threat who's the bigger villain and ultimately it's everybody it is colin farrell it's brian tyree henry it's liam neeson it's carrie coon a little bit you know what i mean Mm -hmm. and um, you can see why this whole thing would have made for a good television show because there's so many angles to it. And I obviously never saw the British series and I don't know which characters had analogs that were as important in, in you know, in that one as they were in, in Steve McQueen's Widows. But you can see why there's a lot of avenues that you could go down with this. Yeah, I, I find this movie thrilling. And, and every time that I watch it too, because like, I th- there's there were a lot of people who thought that some of its like the political bent of this movie was heavy handed and like yeah. the shot you mentioned, Sean Bobbitt's uh, shot where they're uh, of the car driving through neighborhoods. People think that this movie is heavy handed and I think the opposite is true. I find it more it's, revealing in yeah. subtle ways throughout it's got a head the on politics, its specifically of Chicago. Yeah. Um, yeah. That, a lot like, of are very uh, rich. This was a very well-reviewed movie. It was 91% on Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, a lot of people put it on their top 10 lists. Our uh, friend and former guest, David Sims, it was his number one movie of the year, as was uh, mine. So uh, obviously David was correct there. Good job, David. Um, <laughs> but a lot of people really like this movie. But for the people who were less enthusiastic, a little bit more hand-ringy, or some people you know, maybe outright didn't like it, and I think that was a lot of the crux of it, a lot of people who didn't like it, said that it tried to do too much at once. It tried to do a crime story and a politics story and all of a sudden at once. And to me, that's one of the movie's great uh, ass- uh, uh, assets, um, you know, is that it's able to tell what is essentially a heist movie and a real fucking good heist movie, too, mm-hmm. with, you know a head on its shoulders that's looking around at the environment and says, okay, this heist movie is happening in the context of this political reality, this social reality, these, you know, interactions between people. And to me, that makes the movie richer. And I don't think it drops the ball in either one of its arenas. No, I I completely agree. And I think some people there, there's a whole widows is messy group of people and there's a even louder group of widows is boring uh group of people i don't get that at all (laughs) yeah i i'm kind of uh i mean if you want to say it's messy fine because i do think there is a certain um 
there there's a certain flair to the movie that is like melodrama, right? Yeah. Like you have Viola Davis and Elizabeth Debicki slapping each other in yes. the scene. Like there is an element of melodrama to this too that I think actually is really good and entertaining and interesting to watch. But um, the people that think that the movie is boring, I kind of feel like that is a... Uh, we'll get into the whole marketing failure of yes. this movie and yes. the whole fox of it. But like... There, I think there was an expectation that people of people going into the movie that it would be like an Ocean's Eleven style ensemble heist that's maybe like grittier or something. But the real heistiness of the movie doesn't really occur until the end of the movie. So it's like if you're expecting these type of like group mechanics or like a building sense of fun like that's your expectation walking into the door of this movie you're bound to be disappointed well except i don't think that 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 was ultimately the marketing failure i think the marketing tried to sell it as an oscar movie tried to sell it as a prestige movie when i think the way you sell this movie is that it is a heist movie that it is a it's not a romp. It's not Ocean's Eleven. It's not lighthearted in that way. But it is a crowd-pleaser popcorn movie. Like, this movie was not sold as a crowd-pleaser popcorn movie when I think if it had been and audiences has got, had gotten to see it in theaters, they would have fucking loved it. Like, this is – this movie uh, hits the buttons, I think, when you're when you're watching it. And I think – Ultimately, it was sold in this weird little middle ground where it was just like, Mm -hmm. well, this is prestige movie making, but it's also, you know, Viola Davis has got a little criminal group or whatever. And yeah, it was like the poster is just a bunch of floating heads on it. It's like, right. That original trailer was fantastic. But like in the lead up to it, like, I don't think the marketing team really responded to what festival audiences responded to this movie. And in the end, audiences went to this movie and got something that they weren't expecting. When you talk to people about who say that the movie is boring, what do they, what is their justification for calling the movie boring? I don't, I don't, I've had those conversations. It's people who were expecting like a heist movie the whole way through. And then they say that this movie is slow. They think characters aren't interesting. I don't know where they would be getting that expectation. Though, unless it's from, like, word of mouth from people who thought the movie was a fucking blast, like I did. Like, so maybe it's that. But, like, I just, I don't see how the movie supports a reading of it being boring. Yeah, I, I don't I just get don't it, see it. it's out I there. think you, like, not to tell people that, like, you're watching it wrong, but, like, you watched it wrong. Sorry. Like, it's not Well, boring. and to be fair, like, it's not just audiences that think that way. There's prominent critics who sure. said that. Like, Listen, everybody's got their bad days. Um, it's, <laughs> I will say, what you mentioned melodrama, and it made me think of probably the one scene that I think is bad in this film. 
which again i gave it Is five it stars slapping? it's no god fuck no the slapping's fantastic i wish there were three of those scenes no the scene where michelle rodriguez goes to the widower's house to get the blueprints oh right and they scene. bond over having just lost their spouses and they start making out and then she leaves and you think for a second that it was like that she was doing that as like this like sydney sydney bristow honeypot thing where it's just like i managed to slip the you know the blueprints out of his whatever it's like no that was just like that scene seemed to play as it did on face value and i just didn't understand a why it was happening i don't know that it fit in with what her character was and it didn't do anything for the plot at all except i guess that it was a dead end for her trying to find these blueprints at which point it becomes dubicki's uh task and they but, couldn't like, find a simpler uh dead end to get it was just dumb it and it made me feel long. like what is michelle rodriguez's character what is her deal like it's a I don't scene know. that i'm always surprised yes is still in the movie i feel like <laughs> yeah. it would have been an easy scene to cut but the problem yeah. with that is the movie already kind of short changes her it character does. even does. with that scene so it's like how much is there? What I kind of want is is another scene of her with Cynthia Revo. Yeah, you know, right? Those are her both best the mothers. They, you know, the thing I love about Michelle Rodriguez's character in this movie, though, uh, uh, and her name is Linda, is uh, it, there's too many famous people in this movie. For listen, I just call people by their actors' names. It's a lot easier. You you guys know what I'm talking about when I say it. It's fine. Um, I will not be calling Elizabeth Debicki Alice. She's Elizabeth Debicki. Right, which <laughs> to the point where when Michelle Rodriguez drops her off at the hospital at the end and he, she tells the EMTs her name is Jennifer, I'm just like, wait a second, is her name Jennifer? Because it's just like, it's just <laughs> Elizabeth Debicki. Um, but Michelle Rodriguez's best scenes are all when she's like, it's her and Debicki talking about what a hard-ass Viola Davis is. It's her and Cynthia Revo sort of, you know, talking about how, you know, her recruiting her to the team and whatnot. And ultimately... That pays off to me when she's the one who volunteers to stick around and bring uh, Elizabeth Debicki to the hospital. And that sort of, you know, moment of concern there. And it's not this big melodramatic, like, you're my friend kind of a thing. But you feel that bond between them. And and I think also that's why the relationship between Viola Davis and Elizabeth Debicki in this movie is so important to me. And that's why I love that the movie ends on those two. And that hint just on Viola's face. I love a movie that ends with a She's little bit of ambiguity. To smile. She's just starting to smile, and you get For this little flutter of hope in your chest that, like, maybe they're going to be friends. And like, I love a movie that ends McQueen on maybe so they're going to be friends. Good at that, though. I fucking love Steve McQueen. He like he always ends his movies after like he's pummeled you, and like uh, even something like this, which could be so easily reduced to just a genre movie, like deals with sociopolitical issues like so uh well yeah and it like it ends with the faintest glimmer of hope that feels like this mountain leap achievement uh i love him (laughs) if it it's it's an ending that it didn't have to end like that you could easily see the way this movie ends cynically or brutally or sort of matter of fact where like viola is going to go on she's going to move on somehow and you know pick up the pieces of her life and whatever but no it ends really on this moment of hope and the hope isn't you know that she's going to she's got this money now or that she's got her you know freedom now the hope is that these two women who have been through the fucking ringer and who have done this thing together and who weren't always on the best of terms could now just be friends 
And I love that. I just absolutely love it. It's uh, it's wonderful. I like this movie, Chris. <laughs> it's all, well, yes. Well, but it's worth saying that like Veronica spends the entire movie in a state of grief and shock. So it's also a moment for her as a character where yes. it feels like she is regardless of whatever the relationship will be with Elizabeth Debicki, it feels like she is moving on or yeah. she is able to move forward. Um, right. So it's like, it's, it's a, well, she's so much is made in the movie of, you know, she's so mean to us. She's so sour. She's just like, she can't, like, yeah, she's going through it. You guys. Well, and she's also, you. she's also trying to, to plan this heist. Like she plans the heist as if she's like the meanest middle school arithmetic teacher ever, where she's just like, we're going to run with these bags of, of dirt on our backs because the money might be heavier than we think it is. And she's just like, we're just going to, we're going to do it. We're going to rep it. It's repetition. We're going to keep practicing this until we get it. And she's completely pitiless and she's completely merciless, but she knows how dangerous this thing is especially trying to pull off a job with what is essentially this they're all amateurs they've not done this before she knows it and she knows that like the consequence of doing this wrong is we all end up dead or in prison and uh and prison being like you know the less likely of the two we're probably gonna die if we fuck this up and and that's why and that's why that sense of relief at the end where she can just smile. We haven't seen that on her this entire mm-hmm. movie. We've seen her cry, we've seen her frown, we've seen her fret and um and that's why it's so it's a generous ending. You know how I love generosity in And movies. like it could also just be like corny or obvious, but like you're talking about one of the finest working actors <laughs> doing this performance. And like, we've talked about this performance before that it is a like full bodied movie star performance. And that's one of the like impressive things about it. Yeah. Um, that it's just like, yeah, it, it could so easily uh, be something cheap and it's always in good hands. Yeah. Do you want to talk about the 2018 Oscars for a second? Sure. All right. 2018 Best Actress, or what do you think? Well, so so I was sort of going through the different little uh, precursor stuff to find out, again, where Widows even showed up in runner-up conversation, where, like, Elizabeth Debicki ended up being the runner-up at both the Los Angeles Film Critics and National Society of Film Critics. Regina King kind of ran the table in terms of the precursors. She won New York, With the LA, SAG, where she wasn't nominated, and BAFTA, where she wasn't nominated. But like the Critics Awards, Regina King swept. She won New York, LA, National Board of Review, National Society of Film Critics, and then Critics Choice. She's not nominated at all at BAFTA. That allows Rachel Weisz to win. She's not nominated at all at SAG, which Emily Blunt wins for A Quiet Place, which. I love Emily Blunt. I love Emily Blunt in A Quiet Place. She's a lead in that movie. That's freaking stupid that she was supporting in that movie. Um, and it's I, I assume that it's just that the favorite the favorite women that Rachel Weisz and Emma Stone you know canceled each other out and whatever. That's but like that to me was a wild decision. But like there were worse things happening in the 2018 Oscar race. So like don't worry uh, about yeah. it. But like <laughs> but I think that was that's what gave people pause 
when it came to the Oscars of just like, oh shit, is Regina King going to lose this thing to uh, people thought that's that like Amy Adams for Vice, who everybody sort of assumed was running second place because they all assumed that the favorite women would cancel each other out. That I mean, like she would have had to have been running second place everywhere is the thing for her to have actually been second place. I doubt she was second place. Right. But I do feel like, I mean, hindsight, Regina King was always going to win that because people Absolutely. love Regina King. But I do think there was that fear. Amy Adams hadn't won anything that season, but she was always mm-hmm. there. She was always sort of lurking. You would think that if she was going to be a threat to win the Oscar, that she would have won SAG. So, like, that Especially to me was a pretty in a big place where the front runner wasn't nominated. Right. So, like, it does, it makes all the sense in the world that she didn't win. But there was that fear. And I think the fear especially was all this other weird ass shit is happening in this race. Green Book is doing so well. It won the Golden Globe. Bohemian Rhapsody won the other Golden Globe. Rami Malek is marching to an Oscar. All this stuff that like you look at the way that the 2018 Oscars ended and you look at it and you're just like, oh, fucking course it ended that way. But as it was happening, we never quite believed it, right? It was always mm-hmm. like Roma's still ahead. There was just Roma too won much everything. chaos going on, right? For <laughs> to feel confident about a front runner being a front runner. I remember you were holding on to the Black Panther thing for like ever and ever and ever, and you're just like, it can do it, it can happen. I think there were still people at the margins who thought that like a movie like you know, A Star is Born was still so likable that maybe it would have this late surge and then all, you know, he doesn't get nominated in Best Director and that sort of, you know, kills that. There's that truly bizarre director nomination for Pavel Pavlikowski for Cold War that I still don't understand. I will never understand. I think they just targeted that branch in their campaign. But like, okay, and this is me just being like Cold War's only okay, but like Cold War's only okay. And even I, even at its best... Cold War is not a highly emotional movie. It's not a... I don't understand why that particular foreign language film captured the hearts of, of, uh, of awards voters that year, even among the directors. a long time, too. I mean, like, no, I know exactly what you're thinking because we both love Shoplifters and it's like... Yes! Shoplifters just like... It, it, maybe it just got screwed in its in timing you know like it came out in the year of roma and for whatever reason people loved cold war more than they love shoplifters and shoplifters Um, has a much more obviously emotional pull i get why burning doesn't do well at the oscars do you know what i mean burning i think is a superior movie to um to cold war and i like i like shoplifters a little bit better than burning but like if you like Burning better than Shoplifters, I get it. Like it's, but it's a challenging movie. It is a movie that like sort of, it doesn't push the audience away, but it, like it makes you work for it, right? Mm-hmm. And Stephen Yun does show up during the speaking of the Critics Awards. He wins Los Angeles Film Critics Association and National Society of Film Critics, which like I had forgotten that he had won two major critics prizes, and that's fucking awesome because I think he was my number one supporting actor that year. He's so good in that movie. But, like, I get why Burning doesn't get, you know, that level of support that Cold War got. I don't get why it was Cold War over something like Shoplifters. What else did Amazon have that season? They could have also just been putting most of their effort behind that movie. Hold, please. Well, yes, because this is the year that they have a lot of shit that failed, like Beautiful Boy. Hold on. Well, Beautiful Boy, they were putting their effort into because Chalamet almost gets a... Yeah, uh, he was almost there. He was probably sixth place. Um, Amazon Studios. 
But for a studio like Amazon, it's easier if they have like a targeted nomination that they can work for. Plus, also, people forget that the director's branch, because they're, you vote for your category and your branch, and then you vote for Best Picture if you're in the Academy. So, like, actors are voting for actors, directors are voting for directors. The director's yes. branch is not that big. That's why they have idiosyncratic no. choices sometimes. Right, right, right. And and sometimes it's not, like, they aren't always the ones to be susceptible to emotional pulls. And I get it. But just, like, I, I guess it's just my under, me being underwhelmed it's, it's with It's their taste as a branch, too. Like, a yeah. foreign language. I mean, it's, it's just weird because... You do have a non-English language film in Best Picture, and Cold War is not it, and it still gets that director's nominee. It's, right. it's odd. But like, there are other analogs throughout history of that. Happening. So Amazon Studios in 2018, it's a real weird lineup. Okay, so they have, early in the year, they have You Were Never Really Here, which ends up being, you know, certain critics really liked it. I still fucking hated it. It was Whatever. never going to be nominated. It was never going to get Oscar. nominated. Yeah. Um Cold War ends up being its big success. Beautiful Boy was the one where it's like they tried it. Uh, Chalamet gets Golden Globe and SAG or just Golden Globe? I think both. I think it's both. Give me a second. I've got SAG right here. He was nominated for SAG as well. Yes. So he comes super close. But like nothing else about that movie was a threat to get nominated anywhere. And that's uh, why he didn't get nominated. I also think he is bad in it. I disagree. I think he's good. Um Suspiria was never going to get nominated, but also the reception to that movie was wild. Like, all over the map. People hated it. People loved it. People were very confused by it. It was like... We could absolutely do an episode on it. Like, it feels would love like to. it was close to that makeup nomination. Um, I think I, if the makeup branch had expanded to the five by then... Because they're not at five. It's the next year that they do five instead of three, right? Last year was the very first. Yeah, I think Suspiria could have been nominated. That's very possible. Um, so, yeah, we will definitely do. I still, like, there is not an election to be held that I won't make a um, Blanc Marcos joke. It's just, like, <laughs> I just will. For the rest of your life. For the rest of my yeah. life. That is the impact of Suspiria on me. Um, also, Mia Goth's The asteroid body, will be coming uh, towards Earth, or, like, the polar ice caps will be leaving <laughs> off, and Joe will be tweeting, should have voted for Marcos. Um, <laughs> should have voted for uh, Blanc. Anyway. Um, anyway. Um, but also the other movie, the other Amazon movie that we're not mentioning that was very early on, people did have some hopes for, is the uh, future this had Oscar buzz selection life itself. Yes, yes. Both Ooh, movies boy. that are the absolute example of uh, people predicting things for Oscars before anyone sees the movie. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I remember when the trailer came out for Life Itself and everyone's like, oh my god, this is going to be an Oscar movie. And I was like, you are all out of your minds. But so here's the thing, though, is when I look at Oscar chances, there's like cynical brain and not cynical brain, right? And cynical brain really was telling me that like, look, people seem to like This Is Us on television and throw awards at that thing. And I don't get that either. So like, maybe there is something in me. And look, 2018 was a really- not translate to Oscar. But 2018 is a great example of sometimes the things that you think are horrible 
really land with people. Yeah, and like, you're right. You're Green right. Book wins Best Picture, and everybody else was like, "That's not going to happen." And even more so, I was Bo- one of them. Bohemian Rhapsody is a movie where people on sort of our side of the aisle were like, "That's a like that is a demonstrably terrible movie for X, Y, and Z reasons." Here is a scene; it's poorly edited. Yada yada yada. It's like people seem to want to make like the empirical case for like Bohemian Rhapsody is unequivocally uh uh shit and yet not only did it win almost wins almost one best picture it almost certainly was second place that year mm-hmm. like uh, if it wasn't for the brian singer thing i really think that that could have been a best picture winner absolutely and like, absolutely rami malik became like unstoppable because like if there was any pushback against brian singer rami malik absolutely reaped the benefit of it and i think yep. they campaigned that smartly because yes. The whole time they positioned him as the hero of that movie against Brian Singer's bullshit. Yep. Um, but so, but not only all of that, not only did it do so well in precursor awards and actual, or not precursor, but like Golden Globe um, and then the Oscars, but like it made a shit ton of money because audiences fucking loved it. Like, I don't know what the cinema score on it was, but I bet it was really high because like. I bet it was an A. I wouldn't be surprised. People loved this movie and there is a part of me as again and i realize i'm the person who just said that anybody who didn't like widows was wrong but like there is a part of me that's just like who am i to tell all of these people who love bohemian rhapsody that they're out to lunch do you know what i mean there's something in that movie that is connecting with people so like that is the thing that lives in the back of my mind when i look at a trailer for something like life itself and i'm just like listen not for me but like there is something about the things that this guy does that has connected with people. Uh, uh, this is us being the example of that. And like, I don't know, maybe it'll be something that like <laughs> I will totally not get, but people will, uh, people will latch onto. And clearly that was the case with a lot of stuff in 20, 2018, which is too bad because there's a lot of stuff in 2018 that I fucking loved. This is the year. The of- one I don't understand though, in this equation of like, we think something is dog shit, but there are these people that love it, even if they're wrong. Who likes Vice? Who has enthusiasm for Vice? Right. But at least Vice, I mean, the Best Director nomination sort of like is is puzzling, more puzzling by the day. But like, clearly, Vice feels like an also ran in that best picture category they had to oh, fill absolutely. it out absolutely like it was it was the last thing to show up in the year it had already had its like massive campaign before people had seen the movie but it also if you don't see vice and you only like <laughs> you okay saying oscar voters and other precursors N- voted for vice without seeing the movie no no but what i'm saying is sometimes your conception of a movie is either fully or partially made before you see a movie or whatever. But like on paper, Vice makes all the sense in the world is an important subject matter. It is, you know, um, the politics of the moment were uh, applicable to that movie. Adam McKay is coming off of a Best Picture nomination. The Oscars can't get enough of Christian Bale fucking with his appearance to, you know, get uh, to get into a role. Like, it is absolutely, like, they only will give Christian Bale a nomination if he does either lose his weight for the fighter, gains weight 
uh, for uh, Vice gets a pot belly for American Hustle or gets the world's worst haircut for the big short. And like that is that is the criteria for Christian Bale. <laughs> but like clearly they love Christian Bale. Clearly they love Amy Adams. They just got writ got through uh, awarding Sam Rockwell. So like clearly he was a favorite too. Like I think the timing of Vice worked out in its favor, even though I agree with you. It's really hard. Even my parents didn't like Vice. And I don't say that as like, you know, whatever, disparaging my parents' taste in movies. But that is a kind of movie that my parents, that is right up their alley. And even they were just like, I didn't get that. Like, I didn't know what they were doing with that. And I think it's a very obnoxious movie. And I think that movie thinks that we're all idiots. Yeah, I do. Yeah. Yes. In a way that, like, I don't feel like The Big Short did. And I know that some people think that also The Big Short did. But, like, The Big Short did that better. The Big Short did feel like it was making a good faith effort. And part of it is that I am the dummy who needs the finance industry explained to me like I'm a two-year-old and like I still do like Selena Gomez wasn't enough like I I still need you know constant <laughs> reminders of what a goddamn credit default swap is but like uh so maybe that was part of it that I gave the the big short a little bit more leeway in that regard but like Vice yeah Vice really does we know who Dick Cheney is we know what he did <laughs> right right exactly what we a don't weird need year! Death monologues. The far, the farther we get away from the 2018 Oscar year, it's it's more and more fascinating. I think the entire Roma story is a really fascinating Oscar one that like we don't have time to get into now. But like the ins and outs of how that became the front runner and then why it didn't end up winning, but what it ended up doing anyway. The two acting nominations that it got were like kind of miraculous, and the way that like the reception to that movie was on a couple different levels were like, it wasn't just that like smart people liked it and dumb people didn't like, there were some smart people who really didn't care for it. And I, I ended up really liking it, especially the second time I saw it. I liked it better when I saw it on my computer than when I did, when I saw it in a big, nice, wonderful theater with Barry Jenkins, two rows away from me. So like (laughs) the whole thing about Roma is, is wild to me. And there's just a lot of really interesting stories in this Oscar year that ended up ending so frustratingly with Green Book winning Best Picture. It's still surprising to me that Roma, I mean, like the whole, I mean, truly the reason it didn't win is like this anti-Netflix bias where you have Steven Spielberg going out and like saying, vote for Green Book to support the theatrical experience. And he only did that because it was a DreamWorks production and that's his company (laughs) like which is insane of all of those other movies even kind of like vice more than green book support a theatrical like experience more than green book like i i definitely liked green book better than vice i will say that there are things that green book does that i didn't that i did appreciate i mean the thing about i think the worst one is Bohemian Rhapsody just on a pure construction level it is incompetently made um like Green Book is at least assembled in a way that you can watch it and be like wow that was bullshit um but like I think personally and I've said this before and whatever we don't need to rehash Green Book but like I like Mahershala Ali's performance I think in and of itself that performance in that character works for me i think i get the whole thing where like in the context of everything else and the way that like the movie 
nestles itself into Vigo Mortensen's perspective in that slaps him in the face. I don't exactly. And partial part of it is just like, I like that performance so much, but anyway, we really don't have to get into green book. This is not a green book podcast, but um, it's a really interesting Oscar year. And I really, for as much as I thought Mahershala was great, I really still wish that Richard E. Grant had won best supporting actor for, absolutely uh, for, can you ever forgive me? Um, widows though yes it's so it's so easy to see how widows would fit into this lineup it's also worth mentioning that like most of the five to ten nominee years have yielded nine nominees and this one for whatever reason yielded eight right i'm more curious of what the ninth would be than what would it have been do you think i don't think it would be cold war (laughs) I don't think it would be Cold War. I'm looking at the other screenplay nominees that, that wouldn't have been First Reformed, wouldn't have been Buster Scruggs. I don't think it would have been Can You Ever Forgive Me. There's a chance it could have been if Beale Street could talk, I, I guess. I think it was probably Beale Street. Um, I do wonder, I mean, it's wishful thinking to imagine that Spider-Verse uh, had, a lot of, uh, had a lot of support in Best Picture, but like, who the hell knows? But like, you wish that this would have been a really interesting year for, again, we talk about shoplifters. We talk about uh, Into the Spider-Verse. Even, like, I know not everybody loved Free Solo, but, like, Free Solo is one of those broadly popular yeah, documentaries. Like but, like, you would, you would, my hope is that, like, we're the best, the top ten best pictures, that a broadly popular documentary would stand a chance to crack a best, a best picture lineup. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And... It's odd that this one stops short at eight. I, I, where, it, give, give me a number that you think Widows finished in Best Picture voting. Fifteen. Oh God, fifteenth. Yeah, that's sort of where I'm at. Which is, which is, bananas, bananas. And uh, yeah. okay, let's let's talk a little bit about this and how this movie was handled. I definitely think it was mismarketed because, like, it should be a slam dunk for like maybe not completely mainstream audiences but with like audiences of a discerning taste this should not have been a box office disappointment even if it wasn't a hundred million dollar movie that is my thing is i think the people who the way this movie was marketed they marketed it as you would a any other awards player which is will get the awards attention and that will drive later box office when it should have absolutely been the other way around which is it should have been what what bohemian rhapsody ended up being which is we will make this movie broadly popular and that will drive its awards success and then you know it can you know loop back on itself and to me that's a no-brainer feel about that but like they that was never going to happen because this is after disney buys out 20th century fox and whiffs all of the remaining releases that are not their movies that are fox's movies they had nothing to do with them and they gave them so little effort to the point where it's like the one x-men movie which was supposed to be terrible anyway they do absolutely nothing for it and then they blame fox on all of it wait now i want to um 20th century studios films 20th century fox and this is like one of the first movies that had to fall on that sword so the 2018 like later half of 2018 movies for 20th century fox the predator which played tiff that year uh, that had its own problems we can't probably blame that on the sale um old man in the gun which i think got a golden globe nomination for redford but that like, was searchlight 
Oh, that was ser- oh, search. So this- searchlight was uh, left to be somewhat autonomous, at least at first. We will see yeah. what happens in the future. So, okay, so this list that I'm seeing is not differentiating between Fox and Fox Searchlight, which is annoying. Bohemian Rhapsody was a Fox film, though. So, like, that mm-hmm. also, I think the success of Bohemian Rhapsody probably almost certainly took away resources and support from something like uh, something like yeah. Windows. Yeah, Dark yeah. Phoenix gets punted uh, to very low effort uh, in the summer of 2019. Um, the Alita Battle Angel release, because that got pushed back from a, a better a perch. Times. I think that was originally, um, I think it settled on Christmas for a while and then moved again. Moved to February. Um, classic Valentine's Day entertainment, Alita Battle Angel. Actually, honestly, be careful! It has a lot of online I, stands. I could see that being. I could see that being a negative. fun date movie. <laughs> I've still never seen Alita: Battle Angel. I'm sure it's fun. Um, uh, <laughs> oh, that weird uh, Deadpool re-release. Um, With the PG thirteen. Yeah. Who cares? Bad times at the El Royale, which you uh, you despise, and I just think is a missed opportunity. Um, yeah, it's an odd little... Uh... Which, like, even that could have made more money. I just wonder, especially because Searchlight was left to their own devices by Disney in the beginning. Right. What could have happened to Widows if it was a Searchlight movie right. instead of 20th Century Fox? Which, like, Searchlight got Steve McQueen 12 Years a Slave a Best Picture win. Like... Yeah, but you like, know, and like, there was a certain level of this movie that it's like he went from Searchlight to 20th Century Fox before the Disney buyout. That it felt like it was a level up. Like it felt like he was doing his first mainstream movie that was going to be like a box office success. It was filled with stars, and yeah, it's such a bummer to me that he didn't get to like have the success that the, it looked like this movie had on paper. It's after winning the best picture. It was his best win. movie to date. I love 12 Years a Slave. I think 12 Years a Slave is a very worthy best picture winner. I think Widows is his best film that he made to date. Uh, we can talk about um, Small Axe. We're very, very fresh with Small Axe, and I still haven't seen Lover's Rock. So, like, I know that's the one everybody loves the best. Um, At the point of this episode, all of the Small Axe films will be available. You should absolutely go watch all of them. Uh, they're incredible. Um I'm just blown away by what he was able to achieve with these films. But to your point about Fox Searchlight, and Fox Searchlight is like undoubtedly better at the Oscar game than 20th Century Fox is. So like that's that's indisputable. But I still I think Fox Searchlight is good at selling a movie like 12 Years a Slave, which again, as I said, you get the awards attention and then that makes the movie popular. And I really do feel like Widows had to do it the other way around. The Widows Awards attention would happen if it's a really popular movie. And mm-hmm. it wasn't a popular movie, so it allowed the awards people to be like, well, moving on. What is popular? Bohemian Rhapsody's popular. We'll do that. And and the Oscars don't, you know, the discussion about popular films at the Oscars is a long one that uh, we don't need to get into. But... I do feel like you can really feel the divide in this particular Oscar year in terms of when things were released, Um, because like the favorite was a late release and it didn't really ever do great at the box office. But like by that point, its awards narrative, sort of like Vice, had already been sold. 
Right. The 2018 Best Picture list is full of, like, Black Panther, obviously, is a very early in the year, huge populist uh, success. Black Klansman is an early in the year success that, like, I'm not sure exactly how that ended up doing box office I think it did, like, 50 million. A star this is- was the crazy thing about Green Book is, like, they kept saying throughout, like, Thanksgiving and Christmas, this hit movie, this hit movie. Right, and it's like, and it it's wasn't. playing to empty theaters. Right. It had to be in it dragged itself theaters for, over. like, nine months to get to however much it did. What did it end up doing? It was never a hit. It yeah. just was allowed to be in theaters for as long as it was. Yeah. Um no, you're totally right about that. But like, there were definitely populist hits. A Star is Born, uh, early fall movie, mm-hmm. uh, is a big populist hit. And I think that's the angle that Widows would have succeeded on if it had been allowed to be a populist hit. And I think it is if you tell, if you use your marketing to tell people that they will enjoy themselves at this movie, which people would. It is a very satisfying movie. It delivers. I agree. Okay. Um, what's the other ephemera we can get into? That BAFTA nomination that Viola got that was won by Olivia Coleman. That was the big sort of indicator that Olivia Coleman could end up, um, you know, pulling the upset that she ended up pulling at the Oscars. Oh, we haven't talked about our, uh, our friends, the M for G's. The M for G's, one of the, uh, we have decided that they are a, uh, major precursor um, yeah, much better than the Critics' Choice. Yeah, uh, they're not much better than the Critics' Choice. They nope. gave Best Actor to Vigo Mortensen. Let's, nope, let's... nope. I still listen. Everybody has their moments. Um... <laughs> everybody screws up sometimes. Uh, I'm pretty sure Critics' Choice gave it to Rami Malek. So uh, 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 apples to apples. Yeah. Um, the Best Actress field this year at M for G's is wild. A time. It's a time. a time. Listen, it's five. A plus actresses. I will say that. Like we can quibble about the performances if we want to, but um, they're all fantastic actresses. L- read read the lineup for our. Okay, for our so the winner, movie. as you probably imagined, is Glenn Close for the wife. Um, Could not imagine a more perfect movies for grownups winner than Glenn Close and the wife. What if there was a wife? What if there was a movies for grownups? Uh, <laughs> Uh, demographic uh, champion. I think they did. They nominate Jonathan Price. Maybe I'm remembering. Remembering in supporting on. actor. Hold on a second. Let's. They see. did not. They, they should have. You know who they did nominate? Ian McCollin for All Is True. The only people who watched their <laughs> All Is True screener is the movies for grown ups. Same thing with the What They Had uh, screeners, which is why yes. they nominated Robert Forster. They did ro- I nominate my screener of that that year. It's a decent movie. <laughs> they nominated Robert Duvall. So uh, in your face, Chris Vile, uh, the M for G's. I know. I know. And also, they love they love metafictional performances. That's what yeah. I've decided with that nomination. <laughs> But so, all right. So back back to right, best, best actress. actress. Glenn Close wins for the wife. Viola is nominated for Widows. Nicole Kidman for Destroyer. Um, Wait, let's. I pa- will become pause. the Destroyer. Pause. Where where'd you come down on Karen Kusama's Destroyer? We saw that together. We did. And I think the most thrilling um, experience we had with that movie were the people that were about to get into a fight over a seat next to us. Oh, I forgot started. about that. Um, <laughs> at a at a uh, at a critic screening of, of yeah, Destroyer, where it's like they put it in like one of the smallest theaters, and it's like at uh-huh. the end of the festival when like yep. it, no one's even in there, but like for whatever I reason, wanted, this one was full. And these there was a I wanted it for Destroyer. 
I wanted it for Karen Kusama. I wanted success. I did I, too. I did not end up liking Destroyer very It much. has its fans. A friend and former guest Jordan Searles loves Destroyer and um, writes very well about it. But um, It has its moments. I think Bradley Whitford has at least one very good scene in that movie. Um, I think Sebastian Stan is wildly hot in that movie with a bazonkers haircut yep yep i i would have uh you didn't have to tell me that you the clyde to nicole kidman's bonnie in this uh in this film yeah it's but yeah it's not good it's a messy movie and i love karen kusama but again just watch so close to achieving what it wants to but so far yeah to me yes um and then julia roberts for ben is back i think she's great in that She's so she definitely is better than the amount of attention that she got for that movie. Correct. That movie was just weirdly silent all season. Yes. Um, and I think it's maybe because it needed better initial reviews than it got, and then it just got buried. It's weird because that was a roadside movie, and roadside I don't think had anything else that season, and they usually do well on a campaign front. Um, but like that movie just. Didn't it disappeared. Go this is probably the most attention it got. Was she Globe nominated? I don't think so. Hold on. Ben I is back. F- it felt like that was the most likely Globe nomination. Like, of course, they'll nominate Julia Roberts. Oh, I thought she anything. was a shoe in for the Globe, and she uh, didn't. No, the only uh, awards attention it got besides the, the M for G's uh, for Julia, she got a nomination at the Sin Euphoria Awards, whatever that is. Cool. It was nominated for a German dubbing award for best drama. Um, cool. the, the North Carolina Film Critics Association gave its Tar Heel Award to Lucas Hedges for this and Boy Erased. Because he's from North Carolina or something? Maybe. The Los, the Los Angeles Online Film Critics Society Awards gave Lucas Hedges an award for best performance by an actor 23 and under. Tied with Alex okay. Wolf for Hereditary, who uh, rules in that movie, and I'm glad somebody gave Alex Wolf something because he was great. Yeah, the Beijing International Film Festival uh, nominated uh, the film. So yeah, but that's about it for Ben is back, which is too bad. It's and a pretty good movie with a really good Julia Roberts performance. It's a movie that I think I didn't know that it was going to go that. We saw it like basically blind at the festival, and it right. becomes like pretty harrowing in the yeah. final act of the movie. And I wasn't expecting it to go like that. Like it almost becomes like a thriller. Yeah. By the end of it, um, the fifth nominee at, at M for G's is 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 the wildest. Yes. Uh, we love her, Miss Sandra Bullock, for Bird Box. <laughs> now, we maybe forgot. It's been two years since Bird Box, but like the phenomenon. I've still never seen Bird Box. Oh, really? Just see it. It's not bad. Bird Box was like red hot for like a week and a half, right? Which tells you when the AARP votes for these. Um, It was longer than a week and a half. There was a full solid month where like Bird Box was the talking point. It was really crazy. And it was at the end of a year when like there's so much movie chatter. But like it was. Such a social media phenomenon for uh, for a but few weeks there. Everybody hated it. Everybody said it was bad. So I didn't no. Okay, I'm going to push back on that a little bit. Here's the thing. Here's I'm going to explain the Bird Box thing. Bird Box being a Netflix movie that Netflix uh, immediately after it premiered, Netflix was like, 
eight zillion people saw this movie. Everybody in the world saw this movie six times. <laughs> Trust us. We've got internal numbers. Don't worry about it. And like the thing whenever Netflix does that is like, obviously they're bullshitting. Obviously they're being, you know, P.T. Barnum about this whole thing. But like, they I keep do- reducing the amount of time that they consider someone watched it. It's right. Like, but, it's not even two minutes anymore. But like anecdotally among people I know who like, are not us and are not film critics and do not, you know, watch this stuff for a living. A lot of people saw Bird Box. I heard that year at the holidays, I heard a ton of people who are not movie nerds talking about Bird Box. So clearly, like, Netflix was goosing those numbers for sure, but, like, it was based on something. A lot of fucking people saw Bird Box. Well, and they can goose those numbers because they put it, like, at the very top of their platform, right? So a lot of data supports that people will literally just watch whatever is in front of their face when they turn on Netflix. Sure. Um, But also, I think... Most of the people, like, there was good word of mouth about Bird Box among regular people. But I think it was one of those things where the more Netflix touted it and the more that, like, film critic people resented it. And so the better Netflix said it did, the worse critics said it was. And it was this real inverse kind of a thing where, like, ultimately, I think Bird Box is a very watchable I mean, a B, the term B movie is thrown around in weird ways and like whatever. It's that's a specific definition that I'm not going to get into. But like, it's a fun, not that brilliant movie that like it's compelling. It moves along. The premise is <laughs> you really sell interesting. It so well, <laughs> no, it's a it's a real in, it's an interesting premise that like moves itself along really well. And no, it's not a great movie, but it's not. A, I don't think it's a bad movie. I genuinely don't think it's a bad movie. I think a lot of people made it sound like it was this, like, giant piece of shit because they thought that Netflix was perpetrating a fraud. And, like, whatever. I get it. We hate streaming. We want movies to be in theaters. Yada, yada, yada. HBO Max is the worst streaming platform. Christopher Nolan, I'll agree with you just because you said it. But, like... um, Uh, Which is unfortunate because, like, other than Criterion Channel, they actually are the best in terms of their library, the streaming quality. but... This is this is sort of but the like thing, yes right? the cor- the corporation even like uh, above the app itself is uh, running themselves into the ground, but like this is when no we question. get into you know these conversations where like there is such a you know this like silent war it's not very silent everybody won't shut up about it myself included uh, between streaming and theatrical and the where people want the future of movies to be. And I think Bird Box ended up being this, like, momentary flashpoint in that. And that's why I do think, like, don't believe the anti-hype about Bird Box. It is not an F movie. It is a C-plus movie. When am I going to make the time for a C-plus movie? That we're well, that's the other podcast. thing. Right. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> anyway, it's a real well, interesting on nomination. The end, on the movies for grownups, they gave their best director to Spike Lee. Fuck yeah. But they also nominated Mimi Leader. Remember all of 2018, how we were like quietly rooting for Mimi Leader to make a comeback with On the Basis of Sex? Well, the thing is, Mimi Leader had already made her comeback at that point. It was just that it was on television. She had directed TV, right. all those episodes of The Leftovers. They were so good. Um, I interviewed her for the finale of The Leftovers, and she was so lovely and wonderful, and I really liked her a lot. And, like, you know, had you know, tons of really great ideas about that show and whatnot. So, yeah, we were all rooting for her. We were hoping. And then, like... <laughs> We were rooting for her, but even as we, like, saw the previews for On the Basis of Sex, we're even, like, we're just like, oh, this seems like it's just going to be a real, like, standard biopic, isn't it? And Mm -hmm. 
Although, again, my parents as a as a barometer, my parents both loved it. So there's uh, good for you, Mimi Leader, for uh, for that <laughs> itself. And also, Kenneth Branagh was nominated for All Is True again. All, All is, is true, true a blockbuster as far as the Emphrygies were concerned. <laughs> All right. Anything else? Let's wrap up Widows so we can hop into the uh, the uh, IMDb game. I love it so much. We haven't talked enough uh, about Elizabeth Dubicki, a canonical uh, giantess uh, Elizabeth Dubicki. She's so wonderful in this movie. Um, I was going back through my Dubicki tweets um, before <laughs> watching the movie, and there's one of the first production stills of Tenet is John David Washington driving a boat and her sitting in the back. And when I said, what you don't see because it's just out of frame is that her foot is pressing the gas pedal. <laughs> um, uh, Elizabeth Dubicki. Okay, here's, here's my thing about Dubicki. It felt like everybody who loved Widows hung their hat on Dubicki to try to, like, get Dubicki through. Right. And she's not the performance I think about when I think about this movie. I mean, like... I think After Viola, I think she, she's. I, I hope she gets the opportunity to uh, to have roles like this, where I assume she will be even better. But like, I feel like it's Kaluuya for me in this movie. I mean, and Viola Davis, obviously, because she's the star of the movie. Again, but. I think all three of them should have been nominated. I think Elizabeth Debicki is doing some great stuff. She made all of those scenes with Lucas Haas that could have been very, very terrible. Uh, wrote. Right? Like she makes those movies really, uh, those scenes really crackle and like in in really cool way. I love the dynamic between her and Viola Davis. I love just as I said the little scenes between her and Michelle Rodriguez. Her buying the van at auction is a great scene. The gun. Uh, purchasing scene and she's just one of those actresses that communicates a lot on her face which is interesting because like again she strikes such an imposing figure like there's so many shots of the four of the the women as they're getting ready and it's just like viola you know standard height Michelle Rodriguez, standard height. Like she's the Cynthia Revo's a little shorter, and then just like they literally have to like back the frame up a good couple of steps just to make sure that Elizabeth Debicki gets to fit in there. But again, well, her scenes with um with Jackie Weaver, she's sitting down in all of them. Was this the movie where somebody and I can't remember her life of me where like the greatest achievement of this film is that it allows Elizabeth Debicki to be tall? <laughs> but like. Uh, I mean, that's a lot of her. I mean, that's also Man from Uncle, which I think she's incredible in. Man from Uncle, I've said it before, I'll say it again. Wildly underrated movie. I think all three of the leads in that movie are great. It's the best thing Henry Cavill's ever done. Army Hammer's really great, really funny. Alicia Vikander is like, has personality in that movie, which just like, great. Love that. More of that sometime, please. But Debicki rules in that movie. She's so good. She was great in The Night Listener, the Tom Hiddleston miniseries, The Night Listener. I love her. I just love her. I want the world for her. Same. And again, even if like I can't be like she should be my winner this year, like some people are. No, she would have been a nominee for me. Or like, even like second place, to be honest. Well, now you're going to make me pull out my list. <laughs> I forget what my list was. I'm pretty sure my winner is Regina King um, for Beale Street. And my runner-up was Sakura Ando for Shoplifters. It's a good runner-up. Hold on. Hold, please. 2018. Oh, actually. Okay, so this is... (laughs) You're going to yell at me. 
Um, my num- my top one was Rachel Weiss for the favorite. My runner-up was Olivia Coleman for the favorite, who I do think is supporting. I think Emma Stone is the lead in that movie, but we'll we've argued about this before. The final scene of that movie is the thesis of the movie. She is the protagonist. No, Emma Stone is the protagonist. They're both the protagonists. The point of the movie is that whatever we're not having a we're not having uh, conversations. I hate. Regina King was my third. Debicki was my fourth. My fifth was Molly Parker in um in Madeline's Madeline. Yes, Madeline. She was on my list as well. I forget what else I had. I also had Haley Lou Richardson for Support the Girls, who is divine in that movie. Um, Mackenzie Davis for Tully. Michelle Yeoh for Crazy Rich Asians. Uh, yeah. But no, my my top five is pretty solid. Spectacular. Yes. Anyway. Anyway, I should have Kaluuya in my um, top five for supporting at the moment. I don't, but I don't know who I would move out of there. Stephen Yun in Burning, Josh Hamilton in Eighth Grade, Nicholas Holt in The Favorite, Brian Tyree Henry of Beale Street. Get into eighth Grade. Yeah, you're weird. I don't get that. It's... I didn't get the Josh Hamilton thing. Like, I get it. It's a very, like, emotional, like, thing, but, like, I can't goes so far to nominate him for a performance. My supporting actor winner, I believe, was uh, Richard E. Grant or Brian Tyree Henry for If Beale Street Could Talk. Yeah. I know I nominated Stephen Yun. I forget the rest. That was the year where I said my top 10 supporting actors, I probably, I thought were a better top 10 than my top 10 supporting actresses, which never happens. But like, it was a fantastic year for supporting actor performances yes i loved sam elliott in a star is born i thought michael b jordan was great in black panther um i know you don't like the death of stalin as much as i do but rupert friend is hilarious in that um alex wolf i said in hereditary so good it's a great year 2018 is a great year for movies watching this again i was like i just want to watch all the 2018 movies that i love which again makes it all the more uh weirdly uh, almost fitting that it, it ends up being green book and bohemian rhapsody because like of course there were too many great movies to choose from so the oscars went and uh and did what it did boy boy indeed do you want to do an imdb game or do we have anything else uh watch the small axe films on amazon prime yes yeah they're right there for you right there in the comfort of your living room love his work indeed Alrighty, but uh yeah why don't you explain to our listeners what the imdb game is so guys every week we end our episodes with the imdb game where we challenge each other with an actor or actress to try to guess the top four titles that imdb says they are most known for any of these titles or television or voiceover work will mention that up front. After two wrong guesses, we get the remaining titles as a release, the titles release years as a clue. That's not enough. It just becomes a free-for-all of hints. Was that you That's... doing a Chicago accent? No. No. Um, for a second there... I say it is. It would be as good as any other uh, dialect I've done on this podcast. For a second there, I was like, is he doing a Chicago... Because there was a little flatness to it. My uh, my friend uh, uh, Slade Somer and I, we talk every once in a while. We love the movie The Fugitive. And there is uh, some A-plus Chicago cop line deliveries in, oh, wow. in The Fugitive where it's just like... And it always makes me think of... Um, I talked to... I, I, 
did the Vulture Movie Club last week for Home Alone. And one of the things I didn't get into, although I could have, is how much I love the little local cop uh, scenes with uh, when she's calling them and the police officer that they send over to the house to check and see on him. And this is one of those movies where, like, I've seen it a billion times. My sisters and I talk about it constantly. We'll just, like, fire lines back and forth to each other. We know the whole movie by heart. Um, but he goes up to the house and he radios back and he goes... Uh, there's nobody home. The house looks secure. Tell them to count their kids again. And like that will like, I'll just text that line to my sister and it'll like start a whole thing. But that's like, to me, the A plus of uh, Chicago cop line it's just a Chicago over. pizza with a badge. Essentially. And uh, yeah, I was, I was hearing a little bit of that in your IMDb game description and good for you for that. Uh, no, I think my closest to a Chicago dialect is my what are you queer guy? What queer? You pull that line out a lot. I'm very fascinated by what the origin of that is, but uh, it's just—it's a very—you know—the character you watch. If you watch anything from the 30s or 40s, you know that guy. Uh James Cagney, eat your heart out. Okay, so would you like to go first or guess first? I think I want to give to you first. Okay. Okay, so uh, one of the uh, awards contenders in this season, who we both really like this performance quite a bit. Uh, apparently he's this season playing a drag queen and everyone's talking about Jamie. Wonder if he could get nominated for a drag performance. Noted heterosexual Barbara Streisand stan, Richard E. Grant. I love Richard E. Grant. Have I what mentioned? a nice man. What a nice man. Seems lovely. Seems wonderful. Uh, we failed to mention when we did our About Time episode, and I was kicking myself afterwards. We talked about the sort of like delightful randomness of having Richard E. Grant and Richard Griffiths show up in the play that Tom Hollander's character directs in that film. And I forgot to make the connection that, of course... Both of those two were in the film With Nell and I, the sort of cults uh, British comedy With Nell and I. That uh, that was a like che- nice little cheeky reunion for those two characters. Anyway, now I'm saying it, so uh, don't think I wasn't. I, I I didn't have that in the recess of my brain because I did. Okay, now the business at hand. Richard E. Grant, obviously, can you ever forgive me? He's got to be on there. His Oscar it nomination. Is. He's so it great is. in that. His last scene in that film breaks me down every single time. And because it's not necessarily trying to get you to break down. is Just like he's not ever necessarily trying to get you a laugh. Like right. His best lines in that movie are so thrown away and they're so funny. I'm banned from Dwayne Reed is the funniest <laughs> thing I've heard in a movie in years. It's great. Okay, so now we get into which um, large ensemble movie that I've maybe forgotten that he's in. Uh, actually, I'm going to guess with Nail and I because that's a possibility. Ah, damn it! I thought you were going to forget that you brought it up. Yeah. All right. Uh, it's there. Yes. Okay. Now two for two. we're getting into things like. Now I'm trying to remember. Is it him who's in Spice World? Uh, I do believe he is in Spice World. However, 
It's not there. Spice World is not there. So if I'm scrolling through, if Spice World shows up, that is a wrong guess, sir. Ah, yes, he is in Spice World, so wrong guess. Yeah. Okay. All right. Um, I don't think he's in Love Actually. The world, spice up your life. He probably Everyone could have been girl. in Love spice Actually. Spice up your life is my favorite Spice Girl song, by the way. I know spice up gosh. your fucking life, Joseph. When they performed that at the closing ceremonies of the London Olympics, I, can I tell you that I lived because for one moment there with the, with the mini coops. Yes, what a great! I was like this should be a theme park ride. I need to say very briefly. I know we're tangenting like crazy in this episode. The London Olympics opening and closing ceremonies, which I know got a lot of flack for Danny Boyle recreating Hobbiton essentially in uh, in an arena setting, and like Kenneth Branagh showing up as like an old. Uh, steam engine person or something i don't even know what the fuck was going on he essentially like the history of britain unfolded on uh, at, uh wembley stadium no he deserves a nobel peace prize for reuniting the spice girls for our benefit reuniting for global the... benefit i don't know whether he directed the closing ceremonies though but like so well, much of... did yeah no nobel peace Trophy. prize for sure um i love every cheesy bit of that entire opening ceremonies from london it was so wonderful anyway back to richard e grant i don't think he's in love actually although it feels like he could have been right i'm not guessing love actually no i'm okay, not you're guessing not guessing love actually, love, actually. which i is am good for you because he is not he's not an guy. i didn't think so okay he is though in I'm pretty sure, 99.9% sure he's in Gosford Park. And given the history of Gosford Park on the IMDb game, I can't not guess it. Joseph, well done. He is in Gosford Park. It is the first listed title for him. Oh, that's interesting. Kirsten is known for. Okay. He won't be in there for about time. Um, And none of this is like television, right? No. Or voice. All right, what other things? I'm telling you, he's in all these, like, ensembles and, like, big British casts. And, like, was he ever in a a Guy Ritchie film? I don't know, but, like, I wouldn't be surprised. It wouldn't shock me. Um, And, like, he's been an actor for a very long time. So is it something recent? I almost want to, like, blow a guess just to... Like, uh, I mean, okay, he's in the Nutcracker in the Four Realms. I don't think it's going to be one of those, but I'm just going to guess it. Nutcracker in the Four Realms. He's one of the Four Realms. That, that is not it. <laughs> he's he's also realm. in uh, the b- 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 uh, Rise of Skywalker, and Rise of Skywalker he is He is. He is. Um, which was okay. surprising. Um, okay, so your movie is from 1991. Oh, my God. God. Okay. Ninety-one. Is it the commitments? No. Okay. It's an American movie. He's fifth build. This is a famous bomb. Oh. Very famous bomb. Was Hudson what? Hawk that year? It is Hudson Hawk. No shit. Wow. I've never seen Hudson Hawk, obviously. I did not realize he's in that. Neither have I, and it is a multiple Razzie Award winner. <laughs> was he nominated for a Razzie? I hope not. He was not. No. No, 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 
now I'm looking up Hudson Hawk. His character's name is Darwin Oh, no, wait, he was nominated for a Razzie for this. That sucks. How dare you? How dare you, indeed. How very He's a nice man. They also nominated nominated Sandra Bernhard for Worst Supporting Actress. Fuck you, Razzies. Yeah. Fuck off. (laughs) If you want to hate Hudson Hawk, hate somebody else in it. Hate Bruce Willis. We all hate Bruce Willis. He fucking sucks. Did did they nominate Bruce Willis? I just clicked out of the page because I want to see if they nominated... Richard they nominated Willis. They nominated it for worst picture and worst screenplay and worst director. But like, yes, they did nominate Bruce Willis. So there was at least that. All right. Well, Richard E. Grant at least wasn't nominated for a Razzie for Spice World. Thank God. <laughs> All right. I, for you, went the Steve McQueen route. Um, one of the stars of his best picture winning 12 Years a Slave, a movie that has everyone nine million people in it one of whom though and one of whom who has one of my favorite scenes in that film is ms alfre woodard spectacular scene in that movie spectacular actress spectacular scene she's been in eight billion things and i am just going to tell you up front that her imdb known for is maybe the wildest i've ever seen oh wow Okay. In terms of the movies that you remember her for versus what's actually there. Versus what's there. Okay. Um, I mean, she only has the one scene in 12 Years a Slave, but I'm going to guess that it's there. Correct. 12 Years a Slave. Okay. Hmm. The wildest assemblage of movies. So it's not going to be things that I might think that might be there, like Clemency. Which she should have been nominated for. No TV. No TV. No TV. Um, huh. I'm going to say Heart and Souls. No, even though she should be there for Heart and Souls. Oh, see, I would have thought that you would have thought that that was wild. No, wilder than Heart and Souls. <laughs> okay. Um, I could see a version a of a diplomats. Heart and Souls poster that has her on it, so uh, that disqualifies that. Okay, what's that? She plays like a lot of diplomats. She does. No TV, so not Miss Evers, boys. No. Emmy-winning role in that. I'm going to guess a movie that I know that she is in that a lot of people have shown up for, but you maybe wouldn't it's not like Alfre Woodard for this movie. Um, right. Primal Fear. No, I fucking love her in Primal Fear, though. Damn it. A-plus judge work in that film. She's She gives a classic watch-yourself-counselor in that film that like I thrill at uh, every time. One of our finest living performers. All right, so that's right, two wrong guesses. I, I feel like it's not going to help me. Your years are 1996, 2001, and 2016. Oh, boy. So a real um, spread. Is 2001 like I Am Sam? No. She I Am Sam? I don't... Well, let me look. 2001... We were just talking about 2001, so... No, the only theatrical release that she's in in 2001 is this film. Okay. 96. 96 is the primal fear year. Um, it is. Is it another, like, pri- is it the same genre as primal fear? So, like, is she a diplomat no. or 
Okay. I don't know the nature of her role. Maybe diplomat esque. I've never seen this movie. Okay. Um, even though it is popular among its fan base. Um, in fact, fan base of- being particular for this movie, or it's like part of a franchise. It's part of a franchise, and the fan base really likes this movie. One of the best of all of them. Uh huh. Okay. From the mid nineties, is it? Oh, it's not an animated movie because there's no voices. Is it like a Star Trek movie? Maybe. <laughs> okay, so it's a Star Trek movie. Is it? Uh, it's not Generations. Is it First Contact? Star Trek First Contact. Okay, cool. <laughs> Thank you to my Trekkie husband. <laughs> um, Trekkies really like that one, right? I'm I'm not lying. Yeah, I think he likes that one. Yeah. Generations. That's the I one with the Borg, later. right? That's the one with uh, Alice yeah. Cruz is the Borg. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Okay. 2016 and 2001. 2016. Okay, I'm going to try to get that one because that's semi recent. So it's basically five years old. Yes. What was she doing at that time? She was doing so much TV then. Yes. Um, okay. I. It was a very big moneymaker that year. I don't think the number one of that year, but like up there okay what were the huge movies in 2016 um now i'm gonna look up box office god why can't i remember any movie that made money in 2016 it's those okay, recent so it's years one of the biggest money makers was it a marvel movie uh-huh okay 2016 marvel that's post avengers but no, that makes total sense that she's in the MCU. Is it? Um, and of uh, course, there's uh, a server uh, error uh, on Box Office Mojo. <laughs> well, I'm not on Box Office Mojo. Uh, no, but it, I am. I'm trying to. Look oh, for okay. That. <laughs> uh, that's not an Iron Man movie, I don't think. Is it uh, Captain America? Is it a Captain America? Yes. Oh, Which it was one? the number one movie of that year. I am sorry. It was. Oh. Well, that tracks if it was. Uh, is it Civil War? Yes, it's Civil War. Okay. She's at the very beginning of Captain American Civil War. She lays a guilt trip on uh, on Tony Stark and sets him off on his whole weird emotional journey in that film. Is that her only Marvel movie? That's all she shows up to do? Well, she ends up being a major character on Luke Cage. The television ah. series Luke Cage is a totally different character. Um, That's weird. And that was like that same year, <laughs> essentially. Um, she shows up on Luke Cage, but yeah, uh, that was a, that was a weird little quirk of that. Okay, what was my other year that you said she only made this movie? Two thousand one. I have not seen this movie, but also I was surprised to learn she was in it. Okay, is she... Well, then I guess you can't answer the question. I was going to ask if she was like a bureaucrat or judge again, but... She's not a judge. I can say that just from looking at her um, her credit in the film. She is fourth billed, according to IMDb. Is she a senator? 
No. Okay, what other titles would someone have? Is she a military person? No. She a doctor? Yes. Okay. Doctor. 2001. Um, Definitely a movie we could end up doing for this podcast, and I think it would be um, a wild ride. Okay, so it's a bad movie. Yes. Reportedly. I've never seen it. Where she plays a doctor. What are movies where there are doctors? Trying to think of... She could be a therapist, but I'm trying to think of, like, hospital movies. Not having seen the movie, but knowing the premise, my guess is she was probably a psychologist of some sort. Okay. 2001, bad psychologist movie. So, like, what would a psychologist... Or perhaps uh, a team of psychologists be working on uh, someone's psychosis. Is it K-Pax? It's freaking K-Pax. Absolutely not. <laughs> Justice for Alfre Woodard's known for. Like, is that not the most insane? Like, oh, hey, Alfre Woodard, what do you think of when you think of Alfre Woodard? Well, I think of Captain America Civil War and K-Pax. Is she like third build in K-Pax? Maybe she's fourth. That's it. She's fourth build in K-Pax. Yep. it's jeff bridges kevin spacey mary mccormick and then her as far as imdb is concerned at least gotcha yeah wild and crazy kids is what i say to all of that wild and crazy kids yeah not fucking passion fish not um whatever cross creek that she was an oscar nominated for not the superlative beauty shop which lord knows uh i love her in I'm trying to think of like what else I would put on an Alfre Woodard. Like obviously Heart and Souls Clemency. for sure. What's that? Clemency. Clemency. Yes. Clemency. She's Recent amazing. good um great in Miss Evers Boys. Frickin' Crooklyn. She's so wonderful in Crooklyn. Um, I mean, these are a lot of titles that I would have guessed if you hadn't told me that right. her known for was so right. wild. No. So re- seek seek out Passion Fish, y'all. She and Mary McDonald are a plus plus opposite. I each believe other it's on Prime really, right really now because I've had movie. it on my list for a minute. Nice. All right. Nice. Good job. Yeah, nice. All right, that's Thanks. it. That's our Widows episode. At long last, we hope you guys enjoyed it. We did uh, it. We, it's we, a movie we love, you guys. Uh, and this is also coming on the week of Christmas, you guys. Merry Christmas if you celebrate. Uh, if you don't, we still love you, and we hope you're having a relaxing uh, end to a not so great year exactly all of that that chris said and more all right that is our episode if you want more of this had oscar buzz you can check out the tumblr at this had oscar buzz.tumblr.com you could all you uh, sorry you should also follow our twitter account at had underscore oscar underscore buzz chris where can the listeners find you and your stuff uh on twitter at chris v file that's f-e-i-l also on letterboxd under the same name yes do that. Follow Chris. He's wonderful. All right. I am on Twitter at Joe Reed. Reed spelled R-E-I-D. I'm also on Letterboxd as Joe Reed. Reed spelled the exact same way. We would like to thank Kyle Cummings for his fantastic artwork and Dave Gonzalez and Gavin Mevius for their technical guidance. Please remember to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, or wherever else you get podcasts, now including Spotify. A five-star review in particular really helps us out with Apple Podcast visibility. So please sprint Cynthia Arrivo style to your nearest app and give us a Rave, God, we you? didn't talk about Cynthia's arms. 
We didn't. All right. Quick little minute long sidebar on Cynthia Revo in this movie. She runs like a goddamn Terminator and I love it. Like truly brings me joy. If we still had original it. action movies. Like there was the time where we said, let's get Viola Davis an action movie. She's getting it. Uh, with, I think Gina Prince, by the way, um, we need an original action movie for Cynthia Revo. Absolutely. Half robot, half amazing. Love her so much. Also, it would have been a great scene to uh, let her sing, but I always want Cynthia Revo to sing. They apparently filmed it and cut it. Really? Yes. Mother effort. Just like Andre Holland was almost in this movie. And this wasn't. is why we have DVD extras. Why don't we have the footage? Exactly. All right. That's it. That's all for this week. But we hope you'll be back next week for more buzz. 